This is Generation Justice. Welcome to our special edition of Best of 2014. I'm your host, Nick Voigt. And I'm your co-host, Christina Rodriguez. We are broadcasting from the University of New Mexico, 89.9 KUNM and KUNM.org. Generation Justice is a multimedia project that trains youth to create media that inspires social change. And tonight, we'll be sharing some of the best conversations that we've had in 2014. As we look at our media work in 2014, Generation Justice had several themes that kept surfacing. The importance of identity is one of those themes. Whether it's discovering your identity. Or reclaiming your identity. Knowing who you are and where you come from is empowering. Here at Generation Justice, we value identity and encourage seeking empowerment through storytelling. And this is what we hope to share with you tonight. Along with these stories, throughout this best of show, we will also provide some of the music that Generation Justice played throughout 2014. Here's a song by hip-hop artist and activist, I Self Divine, who we will hear from later. It's called Exist to Remain. Design, no test in mind. Most stress, no child will be left behind. Paper plantation, face the damnation. Go to the armed forces, taking all losses. Tell me who's teaching, for real, who's speaking. I mean, who's reaching, real deep inside the Back in February of 2014, Generation Justice put together an activism through art radio show. Self-expression, especially through music is one of those most influential aspects of our society. Generation Justice's Marcus Berumen introduces us to nationally recognized hip-hop artist I Self Divine. He's a conscious artist who has stuck with hip-hop's early core values by speaking against disparities and inequities in society.
Hip-hop was established upon identity and storytelling, and I Self Divine truly expresses himself through his music. I really admire that his passion to positively change society was nurtured by his mother. Thank you, I Self Divine, for your work, and thank you, Marcus, for that interesting interview. We also have some powerful insights from activist and hip-hop artist Brother Ali, interviewed by Generation Justice fellow Jason Fuller. Within his music, Brother Ali combines intentional messages based on his own life experiences and influences in order to inspire change. Here is Brother Ali and Jason Fuller. And whatever comes up, comes out. We don't put our hands on our mouth. I stand for what I'm about. Unknown, but I'm still a soldier. Can't let them go home till I win them over.
One thing I noticed is how he identified himself with conscious hip-hop. Social commentary is not heard in mainstream music. Music has the power to influence the community. Thank you, Brother Ali, for making the choice to stand with the people and not the oppressors. And big thanks to Jason for interviewing Brother Ali. To continue this discussion, our very own Alma Olavaria Gallegos and Luna Olavaria Gallegos will be speaking about Los Racas, a Panamanian bilingual group that Alma had the opportunity to interview. Los Racas uses music to speak about injustice, beauty, and knowing yourself. So I'm Alma Olavaria Gallegos, and a couple months back I interviewed Los Racas. Can you tell me a little bit about what Los Racas is, where you interviewed them? Okay, so we went up to Red River. There was like an annual concert, and we went up there and asked Los Racas for an interview, and they're this famous band. They're bilingual, but they mostly sing in rap in Spanish. They're from Panama and also, like, Oakland. What did you like about the show? What do you, like, what do you like about them? I like that they rap about their experiences, both, like, their experience is in the ghetto, like, the title of their band actually comes from a Panamanian slang called Rakataka, which means someone in the ghetto, and it's generally very like derogative. But they like named themselves Los Racas to kind of reappropriate that and claim that like title. Like, what did you talk about with them? Well, we kind of just talked about their activism through their music. We talked about first how they uh, Rakadun and Rakarico, the, they're the two cousins, how they just kind of started off as messing around, Rakadun was writing lyrics like a journal, but um, more just like rap to like get out his feelings, especially about the transfer from Panama to Oakland that was very different. And so they saw the two different sides of the two different countries, two different places where they lived. And um, they were saying that traveling has helped them a lot because they see both the good and the bad and like has broadened their views and they can see like the good in Oakland and the bad in Oakland and the good in Panama and the bad in Panama. And that has like helped them become like more of a whole person and have more understanding and compassion towards everyone. What do you like about their style? Like what made you want to interview them in the first place? The first thing that I really loved about their music is I listened to the song called Africana. And it's just about like how beautiful African women can be and how beautiful African women are. And um, that was really powerful for me because there's a lot of like whitewashing in the media right now. And there's a lot of like the like stereotypical beauty is very like white centric. And in Latin America, South America, people like use bleaching products and stuff for their skin. I traveled this summer to Paraguay and I lived there for a while. And I saw that a lot of the people there like really just like thought anyone who was blonde and like had blue eyes was so beautiful and um and that was really sad because that had like a lot of self-hate for the people living there they like didn't find themselves as beautiful like as a white person so when I heard their song Africana I was really inspired by that song it was like telling people that like African women can be just as beautiful as anyone else dark-skinned women are just as beautiful but it's interesting that it's not only you're just as beautiful but it's like eres especial, you're very, very special. Like, And then also describing his mom, his aunt, and his grandmother as black. And I think that's also really important because like, I think a lot of times people have to choose between being African and being Latino, but like people ignore Afro-Latino identity, like being black and from Latin America. And I think that that's something that I rarely hear. <laughs> Through art, it's like a very easy way to get out, get out your opinions. 
And if you put it through a song that's like so beautiful, like all of their work, I really love it. And just like the beat and like the rhythm like captures my attention. And then once you listen to the words and once you like understand how they're feeling, then you it's easier to like understand what's going on, understand their point of view. And like when you listen to music, um, it's really impactful and you can associate with a song like you can play it again and again and like understand their point of view without having to talk to them like with an interview and without having to meet them. You can understand how different people feel all around the world. I love traveling. So it's like being able to travel and like meet new people, but without having to leave home without having to like pay a ton of money, <laughs> especially because um, Los Racas, uh, you can download all of their music free online. So that's also another thing that's really great about them. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you to the Olavaria Gallego sisters, Luna and Alma, who did a great job giving insight into how Los Racas shifted the derogatory Rakataka into the positive Los Racas. Los Racas has also shifted the narrative about what is beautiful in a woman and breaking that stereotypical mold. Now, here's an inspiring song titled Africana by the duo Los Racas. We'd like to welcome you again to our special edition, Best of 2014. Tonight, we are taking you on a journey that highlights the importance of identity. Generation Justice has explored how identifying yourself can be more than just an artistic expression or a sense of self, but a political statement as well. In March, Generation Justice spoke with Dr. Augustine Romero, who has worked hard to protect Mexican-American education programs, which are controversial in Arizona. He is the author of Raza Studies, The Public Option for Educational Revolution, which is the first book to document the extraordinary success of social justice education programs. Here's Generation Justice Fellow Jason Fowler with Dr. Augustine Romero. We're here with Dr. Augustine Romero, who is the Director of Multicultural Curriculum, the co-founder of the Social Justice Education Project, and the architect and founder of the Mexican-American Studies Program for the Tucson Unified School District. Dr. Romero, it's an honor to have you here with us. Could you introduce yourself to, uh, to everyone? I'd like to introduce myself, um, recognizing the idea. One of the things that we did in our classrooms was help our students recognize the idea that we represent seven generations past and seven generations forward. We, we need to recognize the legacy of our antepasados, our ancestors, and as we were talking about earlier, the giants that they are in our lives, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, and, and, and their legacies of struggle, their legacies of success, whatever they may be, how we stand on those, on those legacies. And at the same time, we must protect and serve the next seven generations coming forward. And we must do all that we can to ensure that those future generations are in a better place that we do all we can in service of those seven generations to ensure that their lives are better than, they, than, than ours are today. Um, it's important that I introduce myself in this way. My name is Agustin Romero. I am the grandson of Esther and Agustin Romero, Mario Elisa and Francisco Mendibles. My mother, my mom, the person that taught me how to love is uh, Margaret Mendibles. And uh, my dad, who also taught me how to love and be strong, 
uh, is Raul Romero. And the, the two most important things in my life are my son, Raul Edgardo Soto Romero. Um, I'm his dad, and I'm dad to Talisa Diane Soto Romero. And my partner and my best friend and my rock in my world is my, uh, my wife, uh, Edie Soto, who uh, we've been uh, a couple since we were 15 years old. Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's significant that people know their history. So could you explain to us the significance of people actually knowing their history? When you understand who you are, you have roots. One of the things you need to recognize, people in some ways are like trees. Once you have roots, and those roots are consistently nourished, and for us, our historical understandings, our social understandings, who we are, where we come from, that's the nourishment of our roots. And those are our roots and the nourishment simultaneously. What happens, just like a tree, when the roots are cut from a tree, doesn't matter how strong that tree is, that tree eventually dies. And unfortunately, we have people who, what Paulo Freire talks about is the difference between living and existing. And in some cases, we have people that are existing, not actually living. Hmm. And those who have those roots and have those understandings, have those perspectives, are actually alive today, living in this world, seeing the world, providing to the world because they know who they are. And in many cases, those people have different lenses to see the world than those people that don't have those roots. What we constantly were trying to impress upon our young people and help them understand is that very, very many things within the world have been constructed for us. They're social constructions. And many times we unconsciously buy into those constructions, those ways of thinking, those ways of knowing, those ways of doing without being critical of what they are and how they are and who they serve. And, and in many ways, those forces place people in situations where they buy into their own oppression. Well, those people who have those roots and have those lenses and have those historical understandings, in many, many cases, don't buy into those oppressions. And in many ways, what we were trying to encourage was students who would challenge those methods of oppression challenge those methods of understanding, challenge those methods of knowing and doing, and, and transforming them so that the things they did, the things they thought, the things they believed, actually moved communities forward, transformed the realities so that they and their communities, their parents, their families could move forward. From everyone here at Generation Justice to all of our audience members, we want to thank you for coming out and really just being an educator, even across, across state lines. <laughs> Que viva Generation Justice. Que viva. Thank you, Dr. Augustine Romero, for explaining how understanding our culture can give us the confidence we need to succeed. The stronger our roots, the more we will grow. And thank you, Jason, for guiding this powerful interview. As we explore the importance of rooting ourselves with our identities, in October, we aired a montage of Chicano and Chicana voices. Our very own Generation Justice coin intern, Lucia Martinez, frames this dialogue by asking what Chicano and Chicana identity means and why our heritage is important. This is how they responded.
am Chicano. I am Chicana. I'm Chicano. When I introduce myself, I'm Chicano Cajuila. That's the one part of my native heritage that I'm very clear on. Chicana, to me, is a political identity, but it also has to do a lot with with your past and uh, really thinking about family. So to me, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do it with what other people label me as, but as how I self-identify. People have told me Chicano is taking a warrior stance, that by claiming that you know, you're know you making a commitment to your people and consciously being a warrior. And I like that definition. I think that, that fits for how I use it. Don't want to get all dramatic, but don't want people to take it you know too lightly either, that there's something to that. Chicana means for me now is to continue sharing stories with other people of color, to create alliances, um, ally groups, um, to work within your community, to preserve culture and languages, art and song, um, our technologies, uh, to remember our ancient histories. Chicana for me is an era, you know, that sprang from necessity and from a blending of cultures and one that came with, you know, pride. And so to be a Chicana uh, also means to be a feminist. I think the term Hispanic is kind of like a generalizing whitewashing of the like identities of all of these complex folks that make up what they call Latinos, right? It's, you know, there's like Afro-Caribbean folks, there's folks from Mexico, Central America, South America, and then there's a whole kind of section of us that got left on this side of the border. I don't mind being called a Latina. Um, I don't take offense to it, but I would rather be called a Chicana, or maybe even more specifically, a Burgueña. Um, Chicana is, you know, a little more specific politically, but to me, I would really like to politicize the term Burgueña. I think it's, it's also an issue of land. Like when you know your land and where your family is from and, you know, the lands that your family has worked or, you know, has taken pride in, has built things with their hands on, I think that's also part of my identity as well. Identifying, again, as Chicano is a form of resistance. It's a form of survival. It's a form of claiming what's ours. So whenever you have to mark those little silly boxes when you get hired or you're taking a test, these standardized boxes, you know, um, what ethnic background do you claim? And there's never a box that says Chicana. And so when it says other, I write it in. I love the self-confidence that I've had since calling myself a Chicana. I love that I can look at things with a more open mind, I feel. I love that I can kind of reconcile things with my family, especially being from a poor background. You can really go back to your family and say, wow, I've learned a lot of things, how to be resilient, how to, you know, pick up pieces where maybe if I wasn't identifying as a Chicana, I wouldn't appreciate the things that my family gave me. I mean, I think I just love that I've been a Chicano my whole life. I love our music. I appreciate the artists that have been able to blend things that were that at one time can be looked at as like country and one time be looked at as we're urban and have that kind of continuation as opposed to either or which is probably like the third thing I love about being Chicano right is we can do whatever the hell we want because we're Chicanos we don't fit in anywhere on some level you know but it allows us a mental flexibility a cultural flexibility I don't know what's not to love about that I like the music 
Selena is still, I think, the love of my life. I like the food. Um, I don't really generally eat anything without chile. And I'd say the people. You know, there's such a strong history of resistance and resilience in communities um, all across, you know, the border region from Texas to California, New Mexico, Arizona, all the way up to Colorado. You know, there's just such a long history of kind of organizing and resistance and being strong and proud. And so I think that's really what I appreciate the most. If you call yourself Chicana or Chicano, thank you. You do a service to your people by continuing to own that, you know, to be a warrior in that way is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful life. Viva la raza. By embracing our identities, we are taking a stance. This embrace lives within our words, within our actions, and within the way we interact with the world. I admire that people have such pride within their identity, and having that is a necessity within our lives and within our society. Thank you, Rodrigo Rodriguez, Mariana Anaya, Enrique Cardiel, and Jessica Helen Lopez, for empowering us with your stories, and thank you, Lucia, for bringing the story together. Now, here's Yo Soy Chicano by Los Alvarados. Tonight, we are exploring the importance of claiming our identities. Earlier this year, Generation Justice Fellow Polly Dinetclaw captured the voices of Indigenous people at the Gathering of Nations 2014 and asked about the different stereotypes that they face on a daily basis about their culture. Here are their voices. A lot of times, because I live in the city, Omaha, Nebraska, so, you know, a lot of times I get stereotypes thrown at me, like, every day, all day. They find out I don't drink, and that's like a shock to everybody. They're like, what, you don't drink? You know, everybody just assumes that me and my whole family is just some drunks, you know, just all, just everything, you know, everything you could think of. They think we're drunks, they think all we do is sit around and take government money, you know, they think we get everything for free. So every, I always got to explain all kinds of things and you know they think we're still living in teepees and stuff. There was this one time I got asked to go on a trip to Florida, but I got cut from the trip. And I had no idea as to why I got cut from this performance. I was concerned so I contacted the head, the head guy of the whole program and he had told me that Native Americans have a bad reputation for controlling their alcohol. So that's the reason why I got cut from the show. Um, and I was supposed to be a soloist, and I was highly offended by that. And I made sure to tell him that, you know, like, I'm a professional dancer, that's what I do, and I know how to handle my profession. Oh, dang. I heard it all. So you name it, I've heard it. Uh, uh, do I live in a teepee, igloo, or do I wear, you know, my regalia on a regular basis? Well, they, they asked me if I'm, I'm hunting, hunting buffalo, living in teepees. Do I know what internet is? I was like, yeah, add me on Facebook. <laughs> you know, they, they think we're just still living in the Stone Age. One time I went to New York City, and 
every person I met, they referred to me as Chief for some reason, you know. And, uh, and of course, in the movies, you know, like, hey, Chief. So to me, it wasn't a good thing, even though he would, maybe the guy didn't realize it, but I was offended. Back in sixth grade at Portsmouth Elementary School in Portland, Oregon, I had a Caucasian teacher ask me if she could cut my hair off. People really judge you based on what you look like. It's all about appearance in public. And it's even worse when you're Native American because people judge you even more harshly. And that's just kind of the real subtle kind of racism that that happens when all of these stereotypes just keep getting generated and perpetuated. The positive coming out of these experiences, uh, I'd say that a lot of people got educated because, you know, when I start talking about it, then like a lot of people will come around, they'll be like, what, you know, that's for real, and they start listening. So, you know, there'll be a lot more than just that one person that's getting educated about it. Well, I tell people about it. Um, that's, that's the one thing. Nobody wants to talk about racism, and nobody wants to talk about the stereotypes, and they keep thinking we're in post-racial America. No, we're not. Um, this stuff is just so kind of embedded in the very fabric of America. Like I said, people just aren't even aware that it's there. It takes a lot of courage, you know, taking down uh, stereotypes and, and all these uh, racial things that are going on because it's, it's out there, man, you know. Um, racism is, is alive and well in America. We're all together in unity. doesn't matter what color you are, what, what race you come from, what religion you believe in. We're all here together and to create that circle. My name is Anton Edwards, and I'm breaking stereotypes. Stereotypes come from a us-versus-them mentality. Not only do we have to embrace our own identities, but we must embrace the identities of others. By embracing the identities of the people around us, we are able to transform society into a brilliant community. Thank you, Antoine Edwards, Diami Thomas, Ernest Sosi III, Tammy Blue Wolf Kennedy, Rhea Thundercloud, Christy Hansen, and Matthew Wood, a.k.a. Creation, for teaching us how to overcome the stereotypes that are forced upon us. Thank you, Polly, for leading this discussion. In October, Generation Justice attended the Indigenous Peoples Tour of UNM, which aimed to highlight the university's complicity in conquest, colonization, and the ongoing oppression of Indigenous peoples. We will hear from local activists who demand Indigenous recognition from the University of New Mexico. Here are the voices from the Indigenous Peoples Tour. Well, the march was just to celebrate indigenous resistance here at the University of New Mexico, the history of indigenous resistance, but also the history of indigenous resistance um, throughout the Western Hemisphere. This demonstration means to me like a way to reclaim ourselves, a way to reclaim our indigenous identity in our indigenous space and restore our sort of placement on this land and understand that, yes, as indigenous people, we have a right to this land. We're not here to, to celebrate an individual who did nothing but place atrocities and, and genocide on our people. And it's something that we, we still continue to deal with today, but to be able to stand together and to say that we are no longer going to stand for, for such things, you know, is important. But we're also talking about how UNM celebrates um, conquest and genocide. The seal of UNM is um, a back-to-back Anglo-frontiersman and a uh, Spanish conquistador. The Anglo-frontiersman is armed with a musket, rifle, and the conquistador is armed with a sword. Both of those figures represent the violent occupation, torture, rape, murder, enslavement, and genocide of indigenous peoples. 
You can't hide, we charge you with genocide. You can't hide, we charge you with genocide. You can't hide. So when someone says, uh, get over it to me, I try to use that time to educate them on sort of the histories on and the background on why UNM is a racist institution and also the historical trauma that indigenous people suffered. We're still here. We're still fighting. You can say whatever you want, but we're still fighting until the end. And that's the whole reason why this is March, you know, the way I look at it. Respect existence or expect resistance. And that's true. It's not traditionalists versus modernists. It's not minors versus activists and so forth. And one thing I always say when I speak at events like this is that it's always about the oppressed versus the oppressors. I really appreciate about today, you know, it, it's beyond that. It's, it's yes, we're acknowledging a history that um, wasn't so great, but in the process, we're also celebrating who we are as a five-fingered people, you know, because that's, you know, we have to respect each other as relatives. Remember your roots, take pride in who you are, get up, march for your people, do something for your people. Which is the net for through kinship, we are strong. And I would like to say, which is in beauty, kinship, community, love, and hope and resilience. The recognition of our history is crucial in truly honoring our identities. And it's disappointing that our institutions are not all-inclusive within this honor. Marches like these strive to establish reform within the system. Respect existence or expect resistance. Thank you Cheryl Brown, Nick Estes, Kiosha Peter, Cody Artis, Brendan Benali, and Red Milla Cody for sharing your powerful thoughts with us. In November, Polly Dinetclaw had an inspiring conversation with Billy Mills about his own resistance to internalized oppression. Billy Mills won the gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics in 1964. He's the only American to ever win a gold in the 10,000-meter race. He also started the Dream Starter program, which awards 50 $10,000 grants to indigenous youth across the country to pursue their dreams. Here's Polly Dinetclaw with Billy Mills, speaking about the importance of chasing our dreams, setting goals, and conquering self-defeat. Why did you decide to start the Dream Starter program? The United States is 26th or so among industrialized countries overall in education are the ranking. And although we have some of our young Native American children that can compete against the top in the world, the vast majority were ranked at the bottom. And it has nothing to do with intellect. That a poverty of dreams has been created. And, and I've always wanted to, in some way, to address that poverty of dreams. And the way I was able to address it in my own little world was taking the culture, tradition, spirituality, transferring out into current-day educational pursuits, uh, into dreams, for example. I was told by my father when I was a child that I had broken dreams. And it's the pursuit of a dream that heals broken souls. So I'm always saying that our seventh generation, the generation that is to heal us, it's not a guarantee, the prophecies. They're a choice. And we all have to participate in that choice for our young people. Thank you for 
that response, Billy. It was really beautiful. Thank you. So what is your one message or what is the message you would like to send out to indigenous youth across the nation who are dealing with these issues? I would, I would send out to them that, number one, that they are not alone. They're not alone. And there's places they can go. And I, I do know from my own experiences, my junior year in college, I broke, felt rejected by our traditional people. I felt rejected by mainstream society, uh, not able to speak the language. I broke. I came so close to suicide. And I want to show the young people why I didn't. My dad, who died when I was 12, and I was the junior in college, I didn't hear through my ears. I heard energy movement underneath my skin that basically said, don't. And the last time was the loving, commanding, gentle, don't. I got off the chair. My dad told me I needed a dream to heal a broken soul. And I started searching for a dream. I wrote down gold medal 10,000 meter run that the creator has given me the ability. The rest is up to me. And I had no idea 50 years later I'd be the only person from the Western Hemisphere to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. But all I knew, it took a dream to heal a broken soul. Coming off the final curve, things going through my mind, 100 100 meters to go, 80 meters to go, and one of the most powerful was, I'm going to win, but I may not get to the finish line first. Not realizing I was doing two races. The major race, I was going to heal a broken soul. That was, I'm going to win. I may not get to the finish line first, was the second race. I'm still going to try to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. I won, but what won the gold medal for me, what helped me heal a broken soul, was taking our culture, our tradition, our spirituality, extracting out the virtues and the values that empower culture, tradition, and spirituality, and transferring those virtues and values into current-day pursuits, positive, constructive pursuits. Our virtues and values challenged me to be a better man. I feel inspired that against all odds and feeling rejected by mainstream society, Billy Mills was able to rise, follow his dreams, and become a national icon. His values and his culture were the foundation of his empowerment. What inspires me is his sense of self that encourages him to further pursue positive change for future generations. Thank you, Billy Mills for teaching us about the importance of pursuing our dreams, and thank you, Polly, for guiding this discussion. And now, here's a song titled Woodcarver by A Tribe Called Red. Hey! Hey! Put the knife down! Put the knife down! Put the knife down! We have reached the end of our show tonight. Thank you all for joining us on this journey of identity as we highlighted our best of 2014. We would like to thank all of our passionate guests that have joined us in 2014. We are constantly inspired by your voices, your stories, and your work. Tonight's engineer is Kamaria Umi. Production assistance came from Christina Rodriguez, 
George Luna Pena, Melissa Harris, and Roberta Real. Much appreciation to all of our youth media makers here at Generation Justice. We couldn't do what we do without you. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past shows, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and much, much more. Also, our podcasts are now available on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. We're also active on social media, so please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, and, of course, all of you. We have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm your host, Nick Foyd. And I'm your co-host, Christina Rodriguez. We'll end the show with a few more songs, and then following us on KUNM is Spoken Word. See you next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Stay true to you. Up to California, from Mexico you come to the Sacramento Valley to toil.